standing right there, you don't move. The same protection, the same comfort, the same direction that you were going with your children never changed. All it was was perception. All of a sudden, the light turned off, and all of a sudden, panic set in. And you start making moves and going directions you might not be called to go. And all of a sudden, and then, all, and then you stop messing with them, and you turn the light back on and laugh at them, and ha, 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 I was here the whole time. And they're like, I thought you were gone. What happened? Oh, my Jesus, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I, I, if you have your Bibles, you can stay seated. Uh, if you would turn to Psalms chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And then I'll continue all the way through 5 and 6 in a minute. Psalms 13, verse 1. And I'll be mindful of your time. I, I will. Wherever God wants me to stop, I'll stop. Psalms 13, verse 1 reads, and this is, this is David, King David. He's here speaking. And he's saying, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long would thou hide thy face from me? Verse 2. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Verse 4, lest mine enemy say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. The title that I'll be preaching from today is simply, In Your Darkest Hours. In Your Darkest Hours. Pastor Hildebrand, if you would pray over the message, please. Lord, your word is already anointed. God, I pray that you would anoint your manservant, Lord, to deliver your word today, God. I pray that you would use him, Lord, to speak a word of faith and of encouragement to your people, God. And I pray that you would use him put, to put the enemy to shame this day, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you put your hands together one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In this passage here, David is, King David, he's, he's re referring back to something that had happened in his life in this past. And we'll get, we'll get in that passage in just a while. But if you look here at the sorrow and the agony that you hear just in the tone of his voice in this scripture. In the first two scriptures alone, four times he asked God how long. Desperation sets in. What happens when you ask God, God, this and that, and you, 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 you fleece God, and you ask him direction, and you're, you're doing everything that you're supposed to do, and all of a sudden God goes silent. All of a sudden the mountaintop turns to the valley. Because what happens is, is no one really asks God, God, how long can I stay in this blessing? When is this blessing going to end? Lord, when are you just going to throw something at me that's going to rock my world? When is devastation going to come? Because you know what? I've been living on the mountaintop a little too long. It's about that time, God, that you just smack me upside across the head. And everything just fall apart. 
Finances fall apart. Job situation fall apart. Walk with God falls apart. Come on, God, isn't it about time? No one does that. Well, you're on the mountaintop. You're just enjoying what's going on. You're just basking in the presence of God and the blessings. The windows of heaven are opened up and blessings are falling down. And you're just basking in and saying, oh, I just love the Lord. But what happens when everything just flips? Bishop was talking about turbulence on Monday. And, you know, I, I, growing up, I, I, I flew on airplanes a lot back and forth. And the thing is, is when you're traveling and you're on an airplane, you hardly even think about what they're saying, pre-flight instructions. They're talking about the man, you're just kind of like, uh, whatever, you're just doing your own thing. You don't pay no attention to that. When you get on the plane, you don't care who's flying the plane. You just want to get from point A to point B. It never goes through your mind. I wonder if that is the, the pilot who, who graduated top of his class. I wonder if there's turbulence that happens in here, if he's going to know exactly what to do. We don't think of those things. That's not the first thing that comes to our mind when we get on the plane. I'm already thinking about landing. I'm thinking of vacation. I'm already saying, okay, we got to be here. Okay, we'll go eat at this place. We're going to do all this. That doesn't even cross my mind. But when you travel sometimes, there's turbulence. All of a sudden, the flow of wind that you're going this way, all of a sudden there's a crosswind. There's chaos in that wind, and all of a sudden there's those little pockets where you kind of dip down. And all of a sudden, if you're sitting where the wings are at, you can look outside and see the wings start to shake like this. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I wonder who the pilot is. You know, because the one who graduated last is also a pilot. So, so I'm like, I hope he was ahead of his class. I hope he was there, you know, extra credit and everything else. And he studied about turbulence and what to do in turbulence. Because what happens is, is when there's those dips in life, and we're there, and they're unexpected. When you're in turbulence, you're just going all of a sudden. You know, they could try to predict it and say, hey, uh, a little seatbelt sign go on. But it's usually it's like when it starts shaking, it's like, they're like, okay, fasten your seatbelt. A little sign comes up. So in this passage of Scripture, David is remembering what he had to go through. And he's pinning down the agony and the remembrance of feeling alone. And he's there, he says, God, how long has thou forgotten me? Will you, forgive me, will you forget about me forever? He says, wilt thou hide thy face from me? He's going through something. You know, Job, in Job 13, 24, you ain't got to turn, I'm just going to reference here. He also says, why do you hide your face? He adds on, and regard me as your enemy. Because when God's not there... All of a sudden, hey, if you're not for me, God, you must be against me. What did I do? And God said, nothing's ever changed. It's just turbulence in your life. There are times where we go through the mountaintop. There's times that we have to go through the valley also. In this scripture, in verse 3, it's, uh, verse 2, sorry, it says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul? When he's there taking counsel, there's, there's something going through his mind. There's a wrestling match going through his mind saying, I know you've always taken care of me, but why do I feel like you're not here no more? I, I, I know you told me, and it, it, I'm going to refer to Deuteronomy 31 and 8. 
It says, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Moses was here as 120 years old. And he's making this statement to the children of Israel, to Joshua and to the priest. Moses had been through some things. He's there and he's, he's, he's making this statement. What happens is he knows that God made a way every time that he asked him to make it. He had history with God. He knew the good times and in the bad times God still answered him. Now he knows here while he's making this statement, he's not going to see the promised land. I can guarantee you there were thoughts that went through his mind. Man, if I could just go back and change time. If I could just go back and speak to that rock instead of hitting it twice. Everything you've ever done to me, God, you've always answered my prayer and took care of me and your people. And now I don't get to see the promised land. I get to make a speech to the ones who are going to enter the promised land. How hard do you think that statement was? Let him know, God, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you, knowing that he'll never step foot into the promised land. There are times in our life where there we look and we, we, we try to figure out with our human minds. In verse 3 it says, Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten mine eyes. He, he's here, he's saying, illuminate my understanding, God. Give me knowledge of why I'm going through this. He says, lest I sleep. That phrase, I sleep, means to be, remain here in such a long time. And sleep, of, sleep the sleep of death, which means to be in there all the way till my end time, till it's over. Verse 4 said, lest my, lest my enemy says I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But something happens when you go to verse 5 and 6. You're there, and all of a sudden, David starts talking a little different. He says, but... I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. The phrase in thy salvation means that I will rejoice in your saving. I will, I will rejoice in your deliverance. I will rejoice in your victory. All of a sudden, he's there and he goes from sorrow to saying, I'll praise you regardless. Something changes in his tone. Something changes in his speech. And all of a sudden he's saying, no, he's here. I'm here and I'm going through this. And I feel like God has left me and God has abandoned me. I have trusted in thy mercy, God. There's something that had to come back, a memory or something. Something of the past that was there that triggered this statement that he made and in verse 6 it says I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me now when you look up that phrase he hath dealt bountifully you're thinking of the situation where he's remembering all this and in this time when he's reflecting over this passage of scriptures verse uh, chapter 13 is very short it's only six verses but he's referring to the time that Saul was after to kill him. That he was on the run. 
once was basking in the presence of the king and in the palace. And all of a sudden now he's running for his life. He said, God, you blessed me before, but now I'm on the run going from here to there, here to there. How long will you forsake me? How long will it feel like my enemy is going to overtake me? But when he was here and he made this, he said, he hath dealt bountifully with me. Bountifully means to benefit. It means to ripen like a fruit. Because what happens is when you go through something, there are lessons that you learn. You might not be able to handle what God has for you. So there's a time of ripening sometimes that he's got to put you to the side and say, I got to bring you through something. Because if you go too early, they can't consume what you have because you're not ready. It's like a fruit. It's like if you had an apple and you were there to pluck it off the tree too early, it's not going to taste the right way. It doesn't look the same. It won't be as red as it's supposed to be. It won't be as ripened as it's supposed to be. Sometimes there, that, 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 that fruit has to stay on that tree a little bit longer. But while it's on the tree, it still endures the storm. There's the wind that comes through. and You know what? There's a few apples that fall off and perish. But there's also a few apples that will hang on even in the storm. And it will weather the storm. And when it's time and they're ripe, God will have them be plucked off because they'll be beneficial for the person who's going to eat it. You may ask yourself, how long, God? How long? Why must I go through this? And there's just times that it's just our ripening process. God is just getting us to a place that when someone needs us, that we'll be ready, we'll be mature enough, we'll be there to be able to answer the questions. That when we go through something and someone else goes through the exact same thing, I can say, hey, I held on to the storm. I held on when it got windy. I held on when others had let go. It also means to be winged as a child. There's maturity and going through some of the dark places. Some of your darkest hours will prepare you for some of the best ones that you've ever had. There are times... I was writing this, and I was, I was pinning all this down and typing it all up. All of a sudden, God started bringing some of the dark times I went through in my life. And when I went through them, at that period and at that time, I asked God, God, why me? Why? Why this darkness, God? Why do I have to go through this? And God let me start feeling the same emotions, when I, the exact same ones when I was going through it at that time. And God said, I couldn't bring you to a place where you're at right now if I never had you go through the ripening process. If I never put you in the dark for you to figure out your way and know that I was still with you and that you hear my voice in the darkness, in the light, in the wind, in the rain, in the storm, in the tornado, and my voice never changed. I was just having you mature. I was weaning you off the small things that you already mastered, the things that you defeated, the things that you went through. Church, I'm telling you, if you're in the dark hours right now, if you're going through something, 
and you're saying, God, how long? I'm telling you, just hold on. There's a reason why you're going through it. There's a reason why that he's taking a, a little more time with you than what you think and what you expect. You're saying, God, I should, I should already be over this already. And God's saying, not yet. You're not ripe enough. I can't pluck you too soon. You won't be able to stand when I need you to stand if you're not ripe, if you're not mature enough. You can't handle the steak if you first can't handle the milk. Let me feed you the milk. Let me nourish you when I need to nourish you. And then we'll gradually build you up to where you need to be at and I need to use you at. But during this process, don't pray it off. Don't pray off the dark hours. There are making, church. These are the times that we go through and God is saying, do you really trust me? Do you really believe that the influx is coming? The sickness in our bodies sometimes. You know, last night I got wrecked. I was so sick last night going to bed. And it just seemed like it's been a theme for, for the past few times that I ministered. And, and just, you know, I, I, was, I had the flu or whatever it was. And then uh, I felt good. And I felt like, oh, man, I'm finally getting my energy back. And, and all these things. And all of a sudden, bam, last night it just felt like I, I got no sleep or anything. And there was a spirit that I felt there in my room. And I said, if you come to challenge me, you come to challenge the wrong person. I've been through this before. I've been drug off my bed by, by spirits and, and everything else. I said, you don't scare me no more. I said, but if you come here, you're going back where you came from. And I begin to pray. And I say, God, if it's because of the message that I'm preaching, if I'm exhausted tomorrow, I'm going to give everything that I have because there's a word that needs to go forth. The devil will not scare us out of our presence. I don't care if I come up here every time and I feel sick and I feel weak. Let God be the glory. Let God strengthen me during this period. Let these times be the best times. His anointing's never changed. His mind has never changed. Church, we're, we're at a place that we've never been at before. There are things, you know, I've heard it said before, different levels, different devils. You're going to places where we've never been before. Our feet is touching an environment that is there that we haven't uh, a, a, a tread path on before. And the enemy recognizes that. And he's saying, if you'll just jump ship prematurely, you ain't got to wait all that time. Why is God dragging you through the mud and no one else? Why are you doing everything uh, for, for God and he, he can't even hear your voice? He's not even answering your prayer. And the whole time God is just getting you prepared. He's preserving you. He's holding you off and saying, not yet. We're almost there. Not yet, and I'm going to loose you. Not yet. If you just be patient with me, you'll know that you're at a place that you've never been at before. But I, trust me. Hear my voice. Know that I'm still with you. You know, when we're going through the storms and the turbulence, sometimes it's hard to hear God's voice. There are times in my life I've cried myself to sleep. Oh, you're a man. You're, you're this. You know what? There's just times where you don't know what to do. When you're a husband leading your family, 
and you're the priest of your house and you're trying to lead the best that you know how to lead and it feels like everything that you put your hands on just falls apart. And you ask God, God, when, when's my time, God? When do I get to climb the mountain one more time, God? When, when is this? And God will remind me of something I've been through in my past. He said, didn't I take care of you? Didn't it all work out? Yes, Lord, it did. Yes, I've been blessed more than I've ever been blessed before. And I can tell you this day, I am more blessed than I've ever been in my whole life. But there's been dark times. There's been times where I was there. And I said, God, how long? God, why do you let my enemy overtake me? Why does it feel like they rejoice that they've they, they obtained this territory, God? It's like you kind of bumped me out. David was on the run. He was facing death. He was anointed as a child. I say as a child, but I believe it says he was around 15 years old by the prophet Samuel. He's there. He goes to the house of Jesse. And he asked him for all his sons. And everybody that, that you would think would be the chosen one was not. He says, don't you have anybody else? I got David, little ruddy kid. He looks good, but I don't know if this is the one that you want. And God said, this is the one. This is the one that I'm going to pour my spirit on. This is the one that's going to be anointed. This is the one that will be a king and he'll be there and he'll rule my people. But what was David doing while the others were there trying to, to, to check off all the, 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 the uh, qualifications? He was out tending to the sheep. He was out there taking care of his father's business. What happens is, is when you take care of God's business, it don't matter who is there that feels like they're going to get ahead of you or be promoted before you, or, or anything else that, that, that they, they would have. God said, if you just, just do what you need to do, tend to me, tend to my sheep, be about my business, and I'll promote you. I'll have you called in when no, no one else had remembered you, and I'll have them pour the anointing on you like never before. David, when he was there and he was, the anointing was poured on him, and it was probably one of the best days of his life. The anointing never left when he was living in a cave. The anointing never left when he was on the run for his life. The anointing of God was still there. You look at David, and you look at his life, and he's there. He finds favor with Saul, and he could play the harp. So he's there just jamming out like Brother Sedio. Play the harp. It says when he was anointed that, that the spirit of the Lord went on David and then it had departed from Saul and a distressful spirit went on Saul. So he would play that harp and he was there and he would calm Saul down. And so he had favor with Saul. And so what happened, he would go back and he would help out his family. So he's there and, you know, he's, he's getting food for his brothers and all of a sudden, he hears about this giant called Goliath. So he goes back to Saul, and he's like, you know, I kind of killed a bear, kind of killed a lion before. I think I could take that giant. So Saul is convinced 
okay. If you think you can kill that giant, let me give you some armor. Let me put something on you to go out there into battle. So David is there, and he puts on that armor. It doesn't fit. It's not his armor. He paid no price for it. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't uh, 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 sacrifice anything for that armor. If you remember, Saul, it says he was head and shoulders above most men. So little David here putting on armor looked kind of goofy. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be good in battle carrying something, a weight that he can't carry because it was a design for him. If he would have carried that weight into the battle, he'd have been killed. It wasn't made for him. The thing is, is when we go to battle, we can't live off of other people's armor. We can't sit here and, and say, well, Bishop has the full armor of God on in the spirit. So I'll go to battle with him and you have nothing at your disposal. There are things that you have to pay for. There are things that you have to go through in order to get what God wants you to have. And the thing is, if you're always trying to borrow someone else's armor, when the enemy comes up and there's a giant that you're facing, it's not going to fit the situation. You're going to be there feeling kind of awkward because it wasn't for you. It says that, that David was there and he, he, he just goes the way he was. He picks up the stones, his little sling, but he makes a statement. He's there, he tells, he tells Goliath, you come to me with a sword, spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. The thing is, is we can look at the monetary stuff that we have and then look at the material stuff that we have and think that the more we have, the better we are prepared to go into the battle. And God is saying, if you'll just use what you have, and what you've been through and what you fought for, when you go there, as long as you do it in my name, you ain't got to worry about what he has. You ain't got to worry about the enemy and all, the, all, all the, the abilities that he has. You just go in my name. And when David was there, that giant fell down and he went and used his own sword to cut off the head. He didn't need nobody else. He needed God and God was there. The anointing was on him. The thing is, is when you're going through trials and you're going through the dark places, you're there and, and sometimes you look at other people's ministries and you're like, man, if I could just preach like them, if I could just pray like them, if I could just give like them, and God is saying, well, you can, but you got to pay the same price. Some people will look at Bishop and be like, man, if I had his authority, but you know what he'd been through? I know just a smidgen of what he's been through. The racism, it's real. I'm sorry. All the things that he's been through. You, you can kind of parallel his walk with God with David and Saul. When he was here, going through what he went through. But you know what? He always trusted in God. God always was priority in him. It always came first. And you wonder why he's so anointed. You wonder why he's the apostle of this church. It didn't just fall on him one day. It didn't just so happily fall into being an apostle. I guarantee there were some dark hours he had to go through. 
I guarantee there was turmoil and there was just turbulence in his life that would shake him sometimes. But the anointing was always there. The anointing never left. Brother Boom, when I was preparing this message, I fleeced the Lord and I said, Lord, if you want me to say something to him, I said, I want you to bring his image like you did two times when I was studying this message. Brother Boom, I don't know if you're going through a dark time, been through a dark time, or you're about to hit a dark time. But God said he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He said the reason why the devil is at your heels is because of the anointing that God has on your life. The place where he's going to take you, the devil's trying to get you to back up. And God says, nope, let him know that he will have victory. And victory is upon his doorstep. You battle because you're called. You battle because you're anointed. But God said, victory is about to come to your doorstep. I'm telling you, church, it's because of our anointing. Sometimes the devil looks at us and says, man, if I could just pick this one off, if I could just kill this one in a car accident, then, oh, I got one down. But you know what, Sister Waynette? It was in your darkest hours God made you. It was in your darkest hours that you can hear his voice clearly. Because what happens is, is when you're in the light, you see everything. You don't pay that much attention. But when you're there in the dark hours, any little glimpse of hope, any little small voice that God has, you're just hanging on to that saying, God, if you would just keep me, God, if you would just make my mind not, not go to this area, this dark place, God. Lord, if you just, let me just hear your voice, just, just a whisper, God. It's in the dark hours, church. It's in the time where everything else is just going crazy. That God is saying, my anointing's never left. It's because you're anointed. Why? I can take you through. You know why he saved you? Because you always give him glory. You always give him honor. Because there's nothing that you could have done to save your own life. God said, I'm going to preserve this one because she'll always give me glory. I'm telling you, when you always put God first, there's favor that God has in your life. There's a perseverance that God will have around you and encamp you with. Church, we're anointed, and the devil would love to steal your anointing and make you feel like you're all by yourself. But God said he'll never leave you. God said he'll never forsake you. He said he's going before you. You look at David scramble in this time of hiding and trying to get away from Saul. It says that he ran to the tabernacle of Nob where he was there and the priest Ahimelech was there and he was removing the bread, the, the showbread off of the sacrifice there. And it says David went there and was like, I'm hungry. So he gave him the stale bread to eat. He says, do you have a weapon? He's like, I had to leave in haste. And he made up a story about being on some kind of secret mission, but he wasn't. He was lying. Desperation will have you do crazy things. Desperations will make you say things that you really don't mean, but he's there in desperation. He's saying, I ain't got no food. I don't have a weapon. 
do you have anything? And the priest says, the only weapon that I have is the sword of Goliath, the giant that you killed. He said, let me have it. Let me, I'll take whatever is there, whatever is there. I guarantee that the Lord had reminded David about the battle that he had with Goliath. And that because he went in the name of the Lord, that he was victorious in his darkest hour, God will remind you of the times that he's got you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. You look at where you used to live in, sin, and God had moved you out. You were in your darkest hours, and God said, I'll go to the cross for you. I'll die for you. He loves you that much. So David leaves there. And he flees to Gath. Gath is the home of Goliath, where Goliath was a champion there. He runs to the enemy's camp. And he's there. He talks to the, to the king, uh, Kaish, uh, the king of Gath. And he's there. He's trying to find asylum. And he's trying to say, hey, I want to come live here. And then all of a sudden, the people are there. And they're saying, hey, we know this guy. We know this David. Wasn't he the one... That was there that they sang these songs about. That Saul king killed his thousand, he killed his ten thousand. Isn't this the same David? All of a sudden, David, fear grips him. All of a sudden, he starts foaming out the mouth, having saliva come down, acting like a madman. Because he's there, fear gripped him. And all he was thinking about was escaping where he was at. Because all of a sudden, they remember who he was. And he was like, oh. Got to get out of here. So the king says, why would you bring him to me? Why did you bring me a madman here? And lets excuse and leaves, lets him go. When he leaves Gath, it says that David traveled to Adullam, which Adullam is a cave. It's a place that has a cave that's there, and it's called Refuge. And it says, David, he goes there, and he hides there. So he's there. He was in the palace. He was favored of the king. Now he's hiding in a cave for his life. He's there. His family hears about him hiding in a cave. And they go with him. It says that there were 400 people who, who, who went over there with him that were also distraught or Saul wanted to kill them also. So he's in a cave. All of a sudden he has all these people that are there. And it says that he starts to form his own army, a private army that was there in a cave. How do you gather an army in a cave? How is it that you're running for your life and all of a sudden God starts adding to you? God starts to strengthen you. Not by anybody else. But it was God who was there doing it. It says in 1 Chronicles 12 and 22, it says, For at that time they came to David day by day to help him until it was a great army like the army of God. How is it that he's in one of the most darkest hours of his life, hiding in a cave, and God is having him put an army together? I'm telling you, there's blessing sometimes in the darkness. There's blessing in those times of the cave. Those times where you think you're there at your end, and you think that God has forgotten you. God says, I haven't forgot you. I'm going to send people to strengthen you. And when I strengthen you, you're going to have an army, not that man built, not that a king built because they get credit for it. I'm going to send you people who I want you to have to build you one of the greatest armies that were ever made. 
that were ever formed. And if you go in there, I don't have time to, to get into it, but if you start looking at the men who were in that army, there were some bad boys that were there, and they killed thousands by themselves. You think about where you're at right now. You think about if you're at one of the darkest times of your life. God is not, he hasn't forgot you. He hasn't just put you on the back burner and said, oh, oh well, I, I got someone else who's more important. He's not. It's our ripening process. It's that time that we got to say, okay, I'm too green right now. I think I'm ready for this. And God is saying, no, if you just be patient with me, let me get you through all the times in life that you need to go through. All the ones that are there. Because what happens is, is when you go through those dark times, you refer back to the ones that were previous. And that's what I did when I was there. And I was studying this. And I said, God, I can remember that time where, man, it was one of the darkest hours I ever had. I said, but you see me through. And this one, Lord, man, that was a doozy. But you've been faithful the whole time. And when I was there and I was thinking of it, God said, tell my people. He said, tell Brother Boone that victory is at your doorstep. I don't know. It might be one of the darkest hours you're going through. I don't know anything. Only one of the darkest hours. But mark my words, God wants you to know victory is at your doorstep, brother. You might not be loud in the physical here, but in the spirit, God says your voice echoes and he hears every word that you pray. Keep praying. Keep fighting. God hears everything. And he's about to bring you out and give you victory. Now, we look at David, and in that time where he's living in the caves, he has a few opportunities to kill Saul. And he's there, and he, the one time Saul is there using the restroom, and he's in the cave, and David cuts off a piece of his robe and says, See, I could have I killed you. It doesn't change Saul's mind. A second time, Saul is dead asleep. It says that the Lord had put a deep sleep on, on Saul. And in 1 Samuel 26, we'll read uh, 8 through 12. 1 Samuel 26, 8 through 12. I'll be reading now the New King James Version. It says, Then uh, Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear. Right to the earth, and I, I will ha not have to strike him a second time. Say, let me take it in our own hands. I know God has promised you to be king, but let's go ahead and take care of this right now. By our own force. Verse 9 says, but David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. Or his day shall, co shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. Verse 11 says, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. There are times we want to take things in our own hands. God, I know you want me to be at this place, but let me just grab the will for a minute. Let me go ahead and just destroy that person who keeps standing in my life. And God is saying, nope, it's not time. It's not time. But David here predicts what happens to Saul. Didn't have to lay a hand on him. He was anointed the whole time. Didn't have to physically go over and kill Saul to fulfill the promise of God. What God had promised him, God was going to do regardless. 
And it says in 1 Samuel 31, 1 through 6, it says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain at Mount Gilbo. It says, And the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadad, Malchishua, Saul's sons, I can't, you, you know better than I do. It says, the battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Verse 4 says, then Saul said to the armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that, saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together the same day. Didn't have to lay a finger on him. Didn't have to manipulate the blessing that God had already spoke on him when he was 15 years old. Patience, endurance. 2 Samuel 5, 1 through 4 And for time's sake, I'm going to read. It says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in this time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and and be ruler over Israel. Verse 3 says, Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, And King David made a covenant with him at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 40 years. So somewhere around 15 years from the time he was anointed to the time he became king. That's a long time. 15 years is a long time. But through 15 years, God's word never changed. The anointing never left him. The promise never left him. The times where he was at the top of the mountain when he lived in the palace and when he lived in the cave never affected the word of God. It never put more anointing on him or less anointing off of him. God's word was always true, but he had to endure everything that he went through to make him the king that he was. You look at everything that you've been through. Can't live off of someone else's armor. Can't live off of someone else's struggle can't live off of someone else's battle. You can't go there and say, oh, well, they defeated that. Now I have access to that. doesn't work that way. I said to who much is given, much is required. So if you want an anointing, a deep anointing, or if God has an anointing for you that you're trying to walk into, sometimes you just got to go through the dark hours like you do the ones that are lighted up the path for you and everything's just going great. When you're feasting at the king's table and everything is just going awesome, it just seems like everything in your life is just falling in place. And all of a sudden, the rug is just pulled out from under you and you find yourself running. And you're trying to escape for your life. You wonder why David can pin down in Psalms 13 what he went through. Because the thing is, is at first he's there and he's like, man... I'm so sorrowful. But at the end, he's there and he says, but I've trusted you, God. I trusted you through everything. 
so I can praise you. I can give you glory through everything. If you go to Psalms 23, 1 through 6, it reads, here's David pinning this down. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He make me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5 says, you prepared a table before me. In what? In the presence of my enemies. You anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why can he, how can he pin this down? Because he had to go through some things. In order for you to really believe the word of God and trust him, there's some things you have to go through. And sometimes there's some of the darkest places that you ever have to go through. But you know what? When you're there, and it's not just a metaphor that he's talking about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It was actually a real pathway that was from Jerusalem to uh, Jericho. And it was, if you read the story of the Good Samaritan, that's where he got, he was there. The guy had got beat up and he was left for dead. And the, the Good Samaritan came out and helped him out. It was a very dangerous road that you had to travel. When you came from Jerusalem, it was a, there was a drop in elevation. There was a lot of turns and, and cliffs. It was a very narrow path, but it got you there. It was about 18 miles that you had to travel. But it was a very dangerous road that you had to travel in order to get there. You think back, why, why was it the Samaritan that helped him out? Those are the ones that were the, the ones that actually robbed the people who were going down to, to Jericho. It says that Jericho was an oasis in the desert, a city of palms. So you come from Jerusalem to Jericho. You're going from a higher elevation. You're coming down. What? God, why am, I, why am I going through it? Why does it feel like I'm falling down? And all of a sudden, there's an oasis in the middle of the desert that's there. Sometimes God's he'll knock you down, but he'll preserve you. He'll have you at a place of an oasis that's there. Sometimes there's a resting period that you need. Sometimes there's a healing process that you have to go through. It's not always running. It's not always going to a different level all the time. Sometimes God is saying, no, i got to turn the light off. Sometimes you got to endure this. Sometimes you need to be patient and wait here for me. And sometimes the path that you have to go through is not great. Sometimes it's very dangerous that you have to go through. But if you listen to his voice and you believe his word, everything that he's ever promised you, the anointing that you have on your life, it never left you because you can't see it right now. Doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Just because the lights are turned off and you're like, God, where are you? He's no further than what he's been the whole time. Church, if you stand, I'm coming to a closing, and I don't know who's playing music. Sister Kelsey? If you want to play, play something for your brother Trey, I won't, I won't block you. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more than precious than gold that perishes. Everything in this world perishes. 
Everything that, that is here will one day die. But your faith will never die. Your anointing will never die. Your relationship with God will last forever. It says, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you know who he really is, all the trials, all the tribulations that you're there, the one thing you have to hold on is to your faith. Faith in the one that can deliver you. The faith in the one that's growing you. That ripening process. That weaning process. That he's there. He's bringing you to a place of maturity. It's not meant to destroy. He's not there to, to, to dangle blessings in front of you and be like, oh, almost got it. Like that insurance commercial where you got the dollar with the little, the little fishing pole and he's like, almost got it. Almost got it. And then he just pulls it back. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that with his blessing. He doesn't do that with his anointing. There are times we have to endure the dark places to get to the place where God really wants us to be. And I'm, I'm not even going to call an altar call today. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. You know exactly where you're at. And we're just going to pray where we're at. If you feel the need to come forward, you can come forward. I'm not going to call one. But if you close your eyes and lift your hands, we'll pray together. God, I ask you, Lord, I deliver what you told me to deliver, God, the way that you told me to deliver it, God. Lord, if there are those that are going through some of the darkest times in their life, God, let them know they're still blessed. Let them know this day that they're still anointed, that the anointing has never left, God. That there's that ripening process, God, that maturity that you're bringing out in them, God. God, that you're going to bless them beyond measure. Is this them enduring the process, God? That everything that we go through is for your glory, God. Lord, make us the people that you want us to be, God. Lord, the influx is coming. Let us be healthy, God. Lord, let us receive them, God, and know exactly what they need.